five seconds to submergence. Submergence deep into the absurd. Okay, we have two very special guests today. We have Caden and Rylan Butera. They're brothers. I met them both in high school. They shoot film and they're awesome at it. So could the two of you kind of uh, give a brief overview of what you do and your, your projects and whatnot? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having us, Greg. So I'm Caden. I am a director. Uh, my primary role is director and then a screenwriter. Um, and then my brother over there. Are you going to introduce in. for me? Oh, okay. No. Uh, <laughs> hello, uh, I'm Ryland. Thank you, Greg, for having us. Um, I am a film composer and then also a creative collaborator with my brother. So we help, we write the stories together. Um, and then, as he said, he's a screenwriter and directs the stuff. So he does most of the magic, but I do the musical magic. Wow. So wait, so do you do special effects like the sounds or do you just uh, like make the music for like what kind of music like what are you talking about right so um score is ever changing um and more and more we're seeing how like sound effects is becoming part of the score which is really cool um so like Hans Zimmer is always like mixing instruments with like sounds and it's really unique um so I'm trying to do that too when the story demands it but mostly I'm using um, just instrumental works with usually like orchestral templates. So strings, brass, woodwinds, um, lots of percussion, those types of things. And do you do all this on your computer or do you do some recording with some actual instruments? Right. So the dream is always to record with real musicians, but that is rather expensive to get a full orchestra on board. Um, so I work through what's called a digital audio workstation, um, which is like a garage band. And so I will use artificial instruments that sound pretty legitimate. Um, and they'll, and I can get like the sound and weight of a full orchestra, which is really cool. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't sound always like a hundred percent legit, but you can get pretty close and that's what I work with. Okay. And then Caden, do you, uh, how do you work with the sounds that, Rylan makes do you kind of just let him put it wherever or do you kind of right I guess direct them in the right direction yeah so I mean so giving a, a kind of an initial disclaimer Rylan and I both are working in like in the indie film world right now so neither of us are necessarily like in Hollywood living the dream getting hired yes. by Warner Bros to make movies uh we do I'd like to think work on some legitimate projects but we're still um, you know, new at this game and, and learning. I mean, I've been we've I've been making movies since I was eight years old, but as far as in the professional world, you know, it's still pretty new for me. So Rowland and I have a process which is, you know, I'd like to think pretty good and, and semi standard, but everyone has a different one and the bigger up in the industry you go, uh, the the different it is sometimes. So for for Rowland and I's relationship, because A, we're brothers, I can be actually a lot more informal <laughs> than I would if say I was working with another composer which um, I have in the past um, round of course is my go-to I'm a little biased um, but I think he's great <laughs> um, but uh to answer your question the 
process is basically we it starts with a spotting session where we sit down and we watch the movie um, and talk about where we even want music to go because sometimes the best music is no music. Um, and in the case of Rylan, who's just garbage, most of the time that's the best <laughs> option, you know? That's true. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, but we talk about where the music is going to go, and I, of course I'm going to have some thoughts. Rylan is going to have some thoughts. Um, and then after we decide on where we want music to go, next we're going to talk about basically the intention behind the scene. Um, it would be... Um, less helpful for me, of course, I still accidentally do it anyway, but to give Rylan very specific horn should start here, followed by drums. I'm basically, I'd be doing his job for him. I want to lean into the expertise of others. That's kind of the main role of the director. And so I give Rylan the intention behind this scene. I want to be feeling sympathy for this character. I want to be feeling happy. I want to be laughing with this character. I want this to be you know, start with an emotion and then I can get a little more specific sometimes, um, but give kind of that overview and then let Rylan take it and then see where he goes with it. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a back and forth. It's a collaboration, but uh, at the end of the day, we, we land on some music magic, hopefully, and um, make the scene better. So Rylan kind of sets the mood. That is a good uh, way oh. of putting it. Yes, um, he sets the mood all right. Um, I know some people who would who would agree with that one. Um, but yes, yeah, it is Round's job. Um, sometimes his job is invisible, um, but it is to consciously or subconsciously let the audience in on how they should be feeling. Uh, of course, you don't want to be screaming how a person should be feeling in the face of the audience because they'll feel insulted oftentimes, unless it's a comedy. Um, but uh, to, to subtly, consciously or subconsciously imply how this moment should be making you feel. Yeah, or kind of um, suggesting. It's kind of like an unconscious right. suggestion. In a sense. Exactly. Yes, right. we can only suggest, like you can lead a horse to water, of course you can't. Make them feel sad um, just because he wrote this beautiful violin um, <laughs> solo. It, it ha it's a combination of things, but yeah, it's a suggestion. So what kind of genres have you worked with? I know you did that that sort of sci-fi. I haven't seen any of it, but it's this I, I forget what it's called. It was this sci-fi thing that you did with, you know, they're all like wearing like, these robot suits and they have yes. these guns and stuff. What was that called? Yeah. Um, I think the one you're talking about is called recursion. That one okay. was okay. a, a sci-fi short film we shot. Um, I want to say three years ago now, but it was just picked up by the channel dust. They're a, a sci-fi channel. Awesome. Um, they have a website and a YouTube and they acquired that short from us and it's on their platform. You can watch it now. Shameless plug. It's called <laughs> recursion. And that one we shot in a, an abandoned sawmill. Um, wow. And in, in uh, Old Town, Idaho, uh, basically came in um, to this abandoned sawmill and put some actors in some spacesuits and had them uh, walk around and call it a day. I'm simplifying things, but <laughs> it was a, a really fun project. Um, so sci fi, I've done a lot of. I love sci fi. Uh, huge, huge nerd for sure. Um, so sci fi, um, action, uh, comedy 
Um, I, I typically like my genres mixed, so I'm never doing necessarily like a straight up drama, but if it's like an action drama, I'm all for it. Or if it's a, um, a sci-fi thriller, or if it's a zombie Western movie, that was the last big project we worked on was a, a, a genre mash of Western and zombie, <laughs> which is the, the big project Rylan is scoring for right now. That's so I really try to cool. bounce. Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. It's uh, it gets me excited whenever I talk about it. Uh, well, but have I you played, of, uh, have you played Red Dead Redemption before? As a matter of fact, I have played Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2, I played so much of, and it, it may or may not have been a big inspiration for the project. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I haven't played the uh, game, but there's no zombies in Red Dead, though. No, no, there? there is. There's a pack that you can get. And oh, there's, it's like yeah. It's like undead or like red undead or yes, undead that was for... redemption. I haven't played it, but yeah, there is a for Red Dead Redemption One, which I haven't played. There is like a, a expansion with zombies in it, which looks like a lot of fun. I haven't played it yet, though. It's really cool. Yeah, I I, I need to I need to get on that. Uh, but basically, to answer your question, I bounce around all the genres. Jumping around genres is a lot of fun because I get bored easily. You know. <laughs> yeah, that that makes sense. So when you're writing a movie uh do you kind of have like obviously you have the story in line first at least that's my assumption then is there a message that kind of comes after the fact or do you kind of put in a message ever right that's a good question i mean so the um the main thing that i look for in a good story is a good theme um and uh every person has their has a different like which came first the chicken or the egg some people come up with the theme first some people come up with the story um i know like some of the the best directors in the world like quentin tarantino um he comes up with it after at least that's what he says um and then there's other people who right from the get-go they have a theme they want to explore and then they shape and craft the story around it i kind of am i i feel like a mix um where definitely like a story concept starts in my head first but before i just start going down the rabbit hole i kind of want to entertain the idea of if this is going to go somewhere what is it really going to be about talking about the theme and if i can actually have an answer right away i'm like okay this this might be a story worth telling and from that i try to build the story concept and the theme hand in hand because I think they they need to it needs to be a healthy marriage of the two, and and my least favorite movies oftentimes are movies that have nothing to say at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean uh, I don't really like the Transformers movies because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean Transformers one though it goes pretty hard. I gotta yeah. say no um, no but, no I yeah. understand <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it depends on the movie. Um, yes. but, um, I think that people, there's, a, there's a kind of misconception, um, in both the entertainment industry and just n- normal audience members that if a movie is a certain genre, it can't have a compelling theme. Like I think right off the bat, when people think like movies that matter, they go to like the hard hitting dramas, right? Yes. Um, if your movie is not about like a, 
a crippled alcoholic um, going <laughs> to win the Olympics, then like, is your movie really a movie? Um, and I think like a lot of these, uh, like I'll just take Guardians of the Galaxy, for example. That's a big action Marvel movie. It's a superhero movie, right? How could that movie have something important to say? But in my opinion, it still does. It The package is a really fun comedy yes. action romp, but I think that that movie has a has a beautiful theme um and um you know i i take that as a big challenge to write uh round and i both really like action movies but we also like action movies that have something to say um same here yeah um but uh i forgot what the question was but somewhere in that ramble <laughs> that was the answer you were looking for right <laughs> yes yes i mean i was just asking uh how you come up with a theme uh and whether or not you come up with the theme before or after writing the story. When I write right. a story, I like to, I come up with the story first and then I can kind of see the theme in the story in a sense. Yeah. Um, like the, the theme already exists within the story that I made, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. No, they you have can to evolve. You can evolve that as well. Right. No, 100%. Um, and so I guess that was, that's, that's my rough answer round. Did you have a thought on that? Yeah, no, I think that you all are pretty much, um, saying exactly how I feel. Um, just like the, the actual story itself, um, is in like the external parts of the story, like those conflicts that happen. Like if you're to defeat a bad guy, let's just to say, um, it's just like the the theme needs to be embedded because like whatever bad guy you're defeating is likely some sort of representation of like your internal conflict that you need to defeat. So like when you're coming up with the story, I feel like it is pretty embedded in an understanding of what like the theme needs to be. Um, and so just, yeah, that's how I feel. Like when I know at the very end of the film, we need to defeat this guy why you need to defeat that guy is because of probably the theme that your characters are going through. So I think that they just tell each other um, what needs to go where for sure. So Rylan, uh, with that thought, do you think you or your brother are ever projecting your own internal struggles onto the screen? Absolutely. Um, I That's a very good question. It's a very personal question too. Um, but yeah, I mean, the stories that we want to tell hopefully are the stories, you know, that mean the most to us. Um, yeah. like, and so I know we're currently working on, um, a feature film and kind of the, the general theme is about, um, basically not denying bad things that happen, but, um, learning from the mistakes that you made and like learning, um, yeah, how to overcome struggles and grief. And like, I feel like that's a very pervasive thing for everyone, but definitely something that I've experienced. Um, and so it's a story that I care a lot about. And I think that's how it should be. You know, I feel like people who are in the art of creating art um, is always, whenever you're creating some sort of art, like you need to be invested. If you're not fully into it, if you're not fully passionate about it, it doesn't mean something to you. Then I don't think that you're going to make something as great as it could be. So. I 100% agree with you. If, cause I mean, sometimes my heart's not all the way in it. And if I try to force it, it just turns out bad. Cause I, I think sometimes, I mean, sure there's, um, uh, 
it's important to meet a deadline. However, if you meet that deadline by going against your passions and kind of putting in work when you shouldn't be putting in work and like when your mind is kind of brain dead in a sense and you're just not feeling Mm. it, I think you can really produce a product that's not very good. But of course, you know, you still need to meet a deadline, right? You still need to get stuff done, but I I think it's important to find that balance. Right. No, I agree. I mean, especially in, in a industry that is, about creating art but also people need to get paid it's finding that balance of the people who are there yes for the paycheck but also are there because their heart is in it and they are passionate about what they're doing right um those are those are the people that are the most fun to work with too if you're on set and you can tell that people are just there to, to to get the paycheck um you know uh they're, they're, you know, they don't, they don't have the enthusiasm that someone who would be there working for like half the pay and, and jolly to do it would have. Um, not that there's anything wrong with making money. And, you know, there's a whole other argument to be had about abusing artists and not paying them enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but finding the person who loves their job and has that passion for the project. Um, and of course, hopefully you pay them really well too. Um, those are the people who are making really good things and, and having fun doing it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was going to say, like, I feel like that's just true. That's the mindset that you need to have, I think, as an artist. Sounds so pretentious when I say it like that. But like for all artists, whether you're writing a novel or like trying to make it into the industry of film or a musician, like those things, they don't pay well unless like by the small chance you actually like make it big and like become like a huge star. And so like um, it can be super easy to get discouraged, you know? Um, But like the reason why I'm trying to chase this dream and being able to share, you know, what I love to so many people is because it's what I'm passionate about. And like, if you're not passionate about trying to be like a composer or something like that, then like, I don't think you'll, you'll make it, you know, you put, you got to put your heart into it. I think if you even get discouraged, you shouldn't even be doing it. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I mean, think of it this way. If you love it, you're never going to be discouraged because you're going to keep doing it anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely, I'm going to partially disagree with you on that. I think that like discouragement and a definitely lot of grain ways, of salt. Yeah, it's part of the, the the ride discouragement, but it's the people who fall off the horse but then get back on versus yeah, just come give up on horse riding altogether. Yeah, I mean, I think discouragement is natural for a lot of people in the creative process, but it's the people who just like the moment it gets hard, they don't want to deal with it. I 100% agree because that's like that's part for the course you know that's that's the process is failing over and over and over again but getting back up um and the people who are just like i don't want to deal with that then i 100 percent agree um then i i don't think that that's um that, that that probably is the wrong profession for them but discouragement i think you know we we all feel um, yes. on the daily sometimes, yes. <laughs> um, but pushing through it, um, being the people who are able to push through it are the people who, um, who will succeed in my opinion. I think what I meant was, uh, if you're only in it to be rich and famous, then it's right. Not for okay. You. I got you. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause 
Um, yeah, I would have given up a long time ago because I ain't rich and famous. <laughs> and I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Obviously, that's you know that's like on your mind, but that's not. Yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be know, a nice. That's like a more of a for perk. sure. <laughs> might not even be a perk, um, but it might yes. be a nightmare. So, you guys ready to kind of go to the dark side of? Oh, going to the dark side already. Television. Let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm, let's do mm-hmm. it. I'm so ready. So. Uh, did you read any of that essay or, or listen to any of that podcast I sent you? Yes, I didn't get to get to all of it, full honesty. Um, I, I I was in a rush trying to set up this stuff here, but uh, yeah, I wasn't. But li- uh, I'm not concerned about. It. I was just going to give a brief summary of the essay, real quick. Yeah, let's hear it. So essentially, uh, the guy's name's David Foster Wallace, and he was a fiction writer in the early '90s and. I think part of the eighties and he wrote an essay called E Unibus Plurum in the early 1990s, which is, it's an inversion of the uh, United States motto E Pluribus Unum, which means out of many one. Mm-hmm. So E Unibus Plurum means out of one many. And his okay. central theme is that televisual culture or, you know, people watching television, the culture that exists within that, uh, what it does is that it not only separates people, but it also, in a sense, um, kind of manipulates them. It manipulates them to buy things and it manipulates them to think certain thoughts related to television. And it also creates a sort of echo chamber where everyone's watching television. And then these fiction writers are also watching television. And by watching television, they're watching television to almost uh, survey it. And then they use the television that they see to model real life. And then by modeling real life through television, <laughs> they then go and they write fiction, which doesn't actually look like real life. It just looks like television. Hmm. I mean, and it's probably not wrong. <laughs> he, he's, ma- he's mainly critiquing people who watch television six hours a day. Right, right, right. Who, who are addicted to it, not people who just like, you know, like watch it. Um, like, obviously, I watch a lot of television and I watch a lot of movies. <laughs> right. I love watching movies and I love watching television. Um, I just want right. to know, like, your thoughts as far as. Um, as far as how do you think television and film influence a culture? That's my main right. thought from that. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, everything that you just said is, I mean, probably to, true. To an extent. <laughs> to, to, to what extent is the question, yes. Um, but I, th- I mean, I think that's all very interesting to think about as far as, um, yeah, it, it being this this big echo chamber. Of, if everyone is consuming the, the same thing. I mean, I feel like that that argument falls apart a little bit to where, I mean, if you said this was this art article was written in the nineties, right? Yes. Um, and like now in the year of uh, 2022, um, where there is just like more content than ever on more platforms than ever. Um, you know, people are watching like thousands of different shows. Um, and yes. versus like back in the, in the seventies, there was only a handful of channels. You know, now there are so many different places to consume so many different things. And granted, there are some shows more popular than others. Like when Game of Thrones was coming out, everyone and their dog was watching it. Um, but 
I, I mean, I feel like that's that's one thing to be said is that it's every single person sitting down and tuning in to the same like radio program every day. Maybe not as much as yes. like the 1960s, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I do think that, that that is true to a certain extent. I mean, and there's a reason why um, people uh, get so upset um, for uh, for better or worse about accurate depictions of of people and groups in in fiction uh because certain people go like um on one side of the fence you have oh that doesn't matter at at all that's just a movie um but then other people go like look around on how influential movies are you put a, a stereotype of a of a certain group of people in a movie um and that stereotype bleeds into uh people's perception in real life because every time they consume piece of media and a and a group is being portrayed in a certain way people start to think oh maybe that is how they are subconsciously or not um and so i mean i think that media in in that regard is a dangerous thing but also a really great thing um powerful from thing. The, yeah from the standpoint of uh i mean if you take like just a random super popular franchise like star wars i mean that teaches us that like it's good to stand up against impossible odds um even if you're not going to win because it's the right thing to do teaching us to stand up for justice and peace and to defeat the bad guys who are basically space nazis (laughs) you know um like there are these like huge themes that are told over and over again throughout every major franchise right now that like uh you know oftentimes you know evil doesn't pay and love conquers all which is really cheesy but a repeated theme again and again that i hope bleeds into society because we're consuming movies about that very topic all the time absolutely um so those are my initial thoughts all over the place but um what are your thoughts ryan yeah, no, I com I completely agree. Um, I don't. I feel like you just kind of laid it all out there on the table. Um, but that is something that we talk about often. Um, I'm studying. I have a film minor here um, in college, and so we often talk about the portrayal of different social groups through media. Um, and often, it's like talking about misrepresentation or poor representation, and um, how problematic that is. And so. We're still working on it, but like um, race and gender are like really big subjects in that area. Um, And I really do think that um, film just like, I don't know, it it definitely affects your perceptions of people in the real world um, outside of watching a movie. Yes. Um, And I think that problematic portrayals of certain groups is problematic, for lack of a better word. Um, and that's something that we're seeing um, that we're doing better at, I think. And there's still more progress to go. But in the last 10 years, for the first times ever, we're seeing um, like romantic comedies of, you know, non-heterosexual relationships. We're seeing um, interracial couples. Um, we've never seen that before. We're seeing more representation of people of color on screen. And I think that that's fantastic. Um, and like that's so much better at com- you know, it helps combat poor representations, misrepresentations, and finally, you know, giving a platform and a space um, to show all the talent and the beauty 
um, and the humanity of all those different social groups. Um, and we've still got so much more to go, but, um, yeah, I think it, those things really do play a role in how we view the world outside of the theater. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a fantastic response. And, and like, obviously the, the essay itself, you know, it's not attacking TV. It's just criticizing it. Right. Sure. And this kind of relates to all types of fiction. Uh, fiction in and of itself, it, it, it paints a different view of the world and it always has a message, uh, whether or not they intend for there to be a message or not, right? Yeah. And when he's saying out of one many, he's saying like out of one television, right? Many different people. Um, and the thing with television that he also mentions is that it, it generally doesn't represent reality, but is that really a bad thing? Sorry, I, I was lost Hello? there. Yeah, yeah, I was lost there. Sorry, you... Yeah, sorry, you cut out there for a, a good 15 seconds. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, is it really... Because his argument is that television doesn't represent reality, and that's, quote-unquote, a bad thing. But is that really a bad thing? I mean, does it doesn't need to represent reality at all. I mean, it, it's fiction, right? Right. Um, I just, I think the, oh, sorry. Um, I was going to jump in and say, like, I think when we watch a movie, you know, we know that it's obviously fiction and yes. that this is all actors on screen. But the reason why we enjoy these movies and why we come to watch them is because we identify with the characters. Yeah. We, we find things that are relatable, that we understand conflicts and struggles that we have gone through ourselves. And so I think that it would be, um, somewhat ignorant to say that audiences watch movies and disregard all of it as being fiction. Um, because we, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I cried when I watched Spider-Man far from home. Um, like Dude, I, I was touching, um, <laughs> because like, you know, I identify with those characters and, yeah. you know, I, and sometimes I envy them. I want to be them. I want, you know, I understand what they're going through. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, all narratives and why we make film is to like to showcase the um, to showcase humanity and and state a message again back to talking about themes, you know? Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think the topic of whether or not a, a movie or a TV show or an art form of any kind um, it doesn't have value just because it like isn't an accurate depiction of reality is an interesting concept because I think it depends on the piece. But as a general rule, I mean, uh, if you were to take, and I've, I've heard this example before and I love this analogy, um, if you were to take like uh, painting, like, you know, painting a less popular art form now, not everyone is walking around talking about paintings, but um, as much as like the Renaissance, but if, um, we still have, that's a bad example because we still have tons of uh, illustrated artwork all the time. Wait, uh, uh, <laughs> could I cut in here for a second? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I think I 
I think I explained that bad. I think what I meant was, do you think it's bad that TV can give people a distorted uh, view of reality? Right. Um, right. I mean, it, it depends. So, I mean, when it comes to 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 reality, um, like if you were to take like the going back to the the painting example, if this makes yeah. sense, um, like if you were to take an iconic piece uh, from, uh, well, it's a Starry Night. If you were to take the the painting Starry Night, we all know that one. That's what the you know that's yeah. blue with the squiggly lines <laughs> and stuff like that, right? It does not look like real life. It it looks far from it. When you look out at the night sky, it does not resemble an accurate depiction of reality. However, it still is doing what art is supposed to do. It's making you feel something. Um, it is maybe not el- eliciting a. Um, um, a, a realistic vibe, but it is eliciting some sort of emotion associated with maybe something you felt when you did look at the night sky. Um, and then you can take a picture of those like super photo accurate drawings of a of a painting that that like looks like real life. And that's super awesome, too. But which is better than the other? The starry night style or the photorealistic style? Neither because it's it's art. And, and which one makes you feel something um that's the better one um so when people um talk in movies um do they oftentimes have a bunch of like random incoherent sentences that that don't actually pan out to anything like i do all the time and probably have on this podcast no um they don't do that in movies because a a screenwriter is writing their words for them and no word wasted is that realistic not really per se um but this is supposed to make you feel something it's it's a symbol for whatever this conversation in this movie is trying to say um are you feeling with carl young oh uh yeah vaguely so he wrote this essay it's called um i think it's called dreams and their interpretations or something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that and his theory is that when we dream, there's these certain archetypes that, that are involved. There's these themes in our dreams, like dreams are conveying a message. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking that thought, and then when I think about a movie, movies are shot in scenes, right? And when I remember mm-hmm. something, I remember something generally in scenes. I don't remember it the whole thing through, like it's some continuous stream. I remember mm-hmm. it in scenes. This happened and this happened. He said that. He said this. And then jumped to we were in my car and boom, we were back home. It my memory happens in in scenes. Mm-hmm. Do you think in a sense movies are so relatable because they kind of portray they go along exactly almost as we remember and imagine things? interesting or do you agree that that's Um, even a thing how do you think movies relate to our memory is what i'm saying and the way that we see what you're saying from the standpoint of like if i were to think back on something that happened to me my brain is in a way editing out some of the extraneous details and the fluff that happened and i'm just remembering the main bullet points in a way the same way like a movie is depicted is that kind of what you're saying yes yeah no that's interesting i hadn't really thought of that comparison but that that sounds like there's a a lot of validity in that because if i think back 
on a, a an exchange an important exchange I had a week ago. I'm thinking about like the main important sentences said by each party and like the the rough beginning, middle, and end. And I've probably forgotten by this point about like the random tangent that that one person went on that wasn't important because <laughs> I don't need to. You know, I my brain deleted it. This is kind of wild. So this is very interesting. Now, Caden, think about that memory. And when you think about that memory, how do you picture it in your mind? Do I, you see I it from think... your GoPro perspective? Or are you seeing it like, like you would person? shoot a film, a third person? And like when I think of memories, I honestly see it like cutting from like a medium shot to a medium shot of me to like maybe <laughs> establishing shot of both of us. Like right. that's what I'm visualizing in my head when I think of a memory. Yeah, I, I honestly, too, feel like I recall memories in a vague third person most of the time. Yeah, so that is, I think that goes to Greg's perspective and what he's saying, or his, yeah, his ideology. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before. Um, yeah, it, it, did I... Exp- are we understanding what you're saying right, or you're like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, you are understanding what... Oh, what I'm saying it it's like our movies kind of us just putting our imagination on the screen basically yeah no I, I think that's that is in like a good. really more literal sense than just like you created something or like you're literally putting it on as you would imagine it in right. a sense yeah no and I, I there's a, a, a famous quote from a writer out there I forget who and I'm gonna misquote it as well um <laughs> Hopefully this is helpful. <laughs> uh, I, it says, like, the difference between reality and fiction is fiction has to make sense. <laughs> um, if you're going to sit it's down true. and you're yeah. going to craft the story, um, like, if it, in order for it to be worth the audience's time, there has to be some sort of question posed or answer given um, and some form of logic behind it versus reality you know, you can spend an entire day with like a, a random event happened to you for no apparent reason. There was no buildup. There was no payoff. And you're like, well, that was weird. And that's <laughs> it. And, that, you know, you don't you don't want to you don't want to make a movie about that um, most of the time. Anyway, there are exceptions, um, but reality has to have uh, or doesn't have to make sense to anyone <laughs> versus fiction does at least fiction that people want to watch for the most part. Um, and there are, of course, are always exceptions. Um, but, uh, but fiction has to have... Inception. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Inception is also one of my favorite movies. Um, but, have you seen but, Mr. Yeah. Nobody? Oh, yeah, Mr. Nobody's great. I love Mr. Nobody. Yeah, an even more confusing movie, but it's, it's, it's better for me. Yeah, no that that movie is that movie's all about choice. Um yeah. that's the the central theme of that one and I and I love it. It's it's really good. So uh so as far as do you consider yourself at all a a philosopher in a sense when you're making a movie? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, would I say that out loud to anyone? Probably not, but I mean, well, before, a, I'm going to save you before you sound yeah condescending uh, <laughs> um i was gonna say 
I don't think so. Um, what I consider myself to be, what I'd consider Caden to be, what I consider any writer to be, um, is a human being with lived experiences. Um, okay. And I would say that those experiences are what um, frame me to write a story um, or to make a theme or even somebody else's experiences, um, like a close friend or maybe a girlfriend who's like shared personal details in their life and that you want to like, you know, share that story with some other world, but in a different form. So I guess you could say that we're philosophers, but I would honestly, I think that we're just like human beings who are self analytical and understand, I don't know, like, you know, what we care about or what we struggled through and what we want other people to like, you know, feel find shared experiences with from us. Right. I would yeah. prefer the word hero. Personally, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would consider us heroes, probably. Uh, no, I mean, I, I agree with Rylan. I think in a, in a weird way, anytime you, you write fiction, whether you want to or not, I think you're kind of telling the audience how you think the best way to live is in a strange way. You're taking like you're you're taking a situation and you're framing it in a way where you say this is how you should um, deal with this situation or this is how you shouldn't deal with this situation. Um, and it's kind of like your viewpoint on life. And if you really like look at some people's, uh, works, um, you can, I think, see what in theory, if they were, a, a good writer or a bad writer, you can see what they value through their work. Um, I, I watch James Gunn's work and I can tell that he really, values family and and positive connections with people <laughs> um you look at michael bay and you can tell he values trucks Robots. and boobs yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think that's a really good way of putting it though yeah i think you're totally right um and i think that's why you know certain directors have certain types of films and stories that they tell um and there's like the concept of an auteur have we heard that concept before I have not. Can you explain? Uh, this is like a, a, a something you eat. This is like a, no. <laughs> um, so this is a film theory. Um, so there's authorship and then there's auteurship, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. Um, and uh, an auteur is essentially a person who has such a distinctive style that all of their works resemble them. Um, and so authorism okay. is basically that concept that is saying that it exists. So like an example of auteurs would be like Wes Anderson, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino. Like once, like when you watch their films, you immediately know like, oh, like I can tell because of maybe the visual style that's going on in the screen, like the shot composition, maybe the coloring, the costuming, but then also like thematic material that's going on. Um, and so those are like filmmaker auteurs. Um, and so again, like your lived experiences, um, totally influences the stuff you write about. And so like Martin Scorsese is a great example, um, who is an auteur. Um, and like, if you look at most of his works, he features characters that like, don't, um, they go through like negative change arcs and They're become irredeemable, irredeemable yeah, in a lot. Of it, absolutely. Like they get worse as the movie goes on and like, they maybe learn something, but like, I mean, <sighs> take let's see like where do we want to start um Joker. Like we could, 
Yeah, the Joker. Um, that was not by um, Martin Scorsese, although he did produce the movie. Sorry, um, the that was Joker... more of just an example of a. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that a perfect example of right. negative, and that's a perfect example. Yeah, where you know society treats this character so poorly yeah. that he, you know, go regresses into. Or was it a positive insanity. change? You know, for his That's perspective, it was because mm-hmm. he found, you know, place and purpose in his life. Um, but yeah, that was the idea of auteurism. And like, I think that it reflects the idea that people make stories based on, you know, what's important to them um, and how what they think and how you should live your life should be. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to say something here is that I don't think it's necessarily that they're basing it off of lived experiences but perhaps uh, more so a mix between lived experiences and the thoughts and imaginations that they've had throughout their life. Yeah. Also I totally agree. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. Because like Martin Scorsese, he didn't necessarily go through all the drug addiction that our friend did in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, um, that's a story he wanted to tell. He tells the stories that fascinate him and not aren't always you know, the ones that he's experienced. So you're definitely right. Who directed Fight Club? David Fincher. My boy, David Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else has he directed? Um, he is one of my favorite directors. He's directed um, Seven, The Social Network, um, Zodiac. Um, wow. Man, this is a quiz I wasn't ready for. Let me think what else. <laughs> um, the, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo um the netflix series mine hunter um trying to think off the top of your head there's someone watching this who's his actual biggest fan he's gonna you idiot you're forgetting their best movies (laughs) um but yeah he's he's a great director uh he's great he's wonderful i like him good guy haven't met him but i like his work (laughs) so so as far as philosophy and film goes people directors writers portraying messages in film who are some of the people who have been the most impactful to the two of you or maybe not the most impactful but their message kind of like the movie really hit you hard right um i'll let you go first ron (laughs) oh thank you um Oh, I mean, there's a lot of good ones for sure. Um, the one that comes to mind is the film About Time. It's a good um, movie. Which is an excellent movie. Have you heard of it, Greg? Is that the one where he, there's a family line and he inherits the ability to time travel? That's yep. the one. Yeah, that's okay. the one. Um, so, yeah, it's a romantic comedy where, like, um, the male love interest discovers that he can time travel. Um and basically throughout the film um, has, you know, it loves the ability to time travel, but also learns that like because of the butterfly effect, um, essentially, that it creates problems. And at the very end of the movie, he essentially learns that like the best way to live life is not necessarily to go back in time, but to enjoy the present. And so I thought it was like a really impactful message Um and like literally a guy who can who has the ability to time travel, which we all think is like beautiful, basically 
tells us that like, no, you shouldn't time travel. In fact, you should, the best gift is the gift that you already have, which is living in the present. Um, and, and I was that's like, that's why it's called the present. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, um, and so that is like, I think that is just such a beautiful theme and it like literally changed the way I live my life. Um, like I think wow. about it all the time. Like I walk around and just try to enjoy the present so much. And like they did, they did such a beautiful job too. And it's like, he's experiencing tough things that are going on, but he's still like enjoying that part of it too. And learning how to enjoy the struggles and the difficulties of life. Um, and also know that you're going to be able to get out of it. Um, it's a very similar theme also to the movie soul. I think um, it just, okay, I haven't seen it, that one yet. Oh, well, I don't want to spoil it. Um, but it's okay. uh, it has I, a, I, I I already heard the explanation on a podcast. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's okay if you spoil it. Yeah, it's a very similar theme of um, basically a guy who wants to become a famous jazz pianist. Um, and then once he becomes the jazz pianist, he, um, or, you know, the goal, he, once he reached his goal, he realized it wasn't as amazing as he thought it was going to be. Um, and then realized that, like, he was so focused on the future that he didn't realize all the amazing he stuff he all the amazing stuff he already had um, and living in the present. So very similar theme, um, and I just love that message, and I think it's super important. And like I try to remind myself every day to like live in the present, which is like not a hot take, but like I think it was really impactful um, in the stories of about time and soul. And do you think that's something that you achieve when you're working on film, working on things that you love? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like I, I realize that like most of the life that you live is spent working. And whenever you have conversations with people, I often find people will be like, oh, I had to work today. I have so much homework if you're in you know, college or just like, oh, work was rough. Um, and I find myself saying the same things. But like if I do like the numbers, I spend like 80% of my life working. And if I'm not enjoying that work, then I'm not enjoying most of my life. Exactly. So like, I just need to like, you know, be less focused on like, when I finish the work, then I'll feel good. But like, enjoy what I'm doing, you know, because that's what life is about. You're always working. And if you can't enjoy work, then you can't enjoy life. That's what I say. 100%. 100%. What about you, Caden? Mm. Movie change your life theme? So, I mean, I have a couple. I I have 12. I'm going to get through them all. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I say the the film work of uh, Damien Chazelle. He, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. He's a director who, um, kind of going off of the subject we just talked about, kind of tells the same story over and over again, but in, in different ways and, and exploring a different part of it each time. He is the guy who directed La La Land and Whiplash and the movie First Man. Um, that, so basically, for people unfamiliar with the, the works, each movie, in a way, it explores the question of like what is the, the cost of greatness essentially like in whiplash we have a guy who's trying to become a um a, a jazz drummer um but he kind of 
becomes a dick <laughs> doing so. And he finally succeeds in his goal. Um, but he he basically pushes everyone out of his life and treats his girlfriend uh, like like garbage. And uh, but he succeeds in the end. And then it kind of poses the question, like, was that worth it? And then in, in La La Land, um, similar thing where we have um, Ryan Gosling is trying to open up this this jazz club and, and become a, a famous jazz musician. Um, and then he has uh, Emma Stone, his, his girlfriend, is trying to become a famous actress. And spoiler alert, they both end up succeeding, but they lose their relationship together. Um, and he doesn't. Each time in his movie, he's he doesn't tell you what the right answer is, but he just kind of highlights if you live your whole life super goal-oriented um, and you're just concerned about that shiny accomplishment, um, whether it's uh, pertaining to career or whatever, um, and you're not putting maybe like connections and uh, personal connection and kindness first, maybe that isn't always a good thing. Or is it? I don't know. He poses that question in a different way every time. Um, and I think he does it beautifully because each time his character sets out with a goal and he or she actually succeeds in said goal. But then you look at what they left behind and he asks you, like, should he or she have played his cards differently or not? Um, and so, I mean, I don't have the answer for that, but it, it definitely... Uh, makes me movies like that make me me question like okay so I'm really really trying to you know make it big in, in this film scene here um, so much so that I might be rude to someone else as a competitor in order to succeed maybe maybe not maybe that's that's a step too far or maybe nice guys finish last you know that that age-old <laughs> question um, that but uh, as a general rule I'd like to think you know maybe personal connection and, and kindness should be ahead of just stomping on people to get to your dreams. Um, and those, nah. those movies, uh, yeah, <laughs> depends on who you talk to, but I think those movies highlight that question really, really well. So it's kind of like that song rocket man. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, um, now you're, you've, you've made it and now you're all up here alone. Exactly. Um, yes. Oh, yes, man. that's a that's a a, a, a great thing. You can't uh, finally, raise no kids uh, on Mars. It's it's too cold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's funny. That's exactly what Damien Chazelle's third movie, First Man, is about. Um, he Ryan Gosling plays. Um, I'm gonna be sorry. You gotta cut this because I forgot the guy's name. The first guy on the moon, Buzz Aldrin and Neil, Neil Armstrong. Armstrong. Thank uh. you. Sorry, you gotta cut that. So, so I looked uh, like I was really. I'm smart. pretty sure um, it was Louis Armstrong. Yeah, Louis Armstrong, first guy on the moon. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, he he finally, you know, um, and this movie I haven't seen as many times, but um, succeeds and he makes it to the moon, which is a huge accomplishment, not just for man. But for mankind, um, but but he also, in order to, to do that, um, kind of had to, um, you know, spend too much time away from his family and his wife and build up resentment toward other people. And like, what's the cost of greatness? That's the question in, in all three of yeah. his movies. Um, and it's a good question. I think people should ask themselves all the time, whether it's in their creative pursuits or their business pursuits or 
just pursuits in general. Um, I'm going to say pursuits one more time. Well, with, with great power comes great responsibility, right? With absolutely. Yes. And and obviously that's straight from Spider-Man, but it's it's Mm -hmm. 100% true. Absolutely. As what I was trying to get at earlier with, uh, David Foster Wallace and his essay is that TV and film and just televisual culture in general, entertainment, media, our smartphones, all these things have a lot of influence on people. They, yeah. people watch TV constantly, right? They're all, they're consuming a lot of media. And as creators in the film industry, you guys have, the potential to have a lot of power um, because film has a lot of power. It's very compelling. And with, with great power comes great responsibility. And I don't know if you've ever thought of that, like thought about how you actually have a lot more power than you think as far as <laughs> how you can influence other people. Right. No, that's that's a very good point. Um, and it's something that I think about a lot. Um, again, you know, I've been taking these these classes um down here in college that talk about poor representation and misrepresentation. Yeah. Um, and Kate and I, we haven't like made it big or anything. Um, you know, the dream is to share our product with as many people as we can. Absolutely. Um, and so we would hope to get big. That'd be awesome. Um, but it's I think it's very important to be mindful of the position if if ever that we would hold um and like i would r- very much want to like you know tell important stories and make sure that i'm representing people well um because that gives us a very unique position to share messages um across the world like think about yeah just i'm thinking about like disney and obviously I don't think we'll ever get to Disney level, but like Disney is just such influence. Um, and like, it's just like, you know, the messages they tell or the people they show on screen. Um, yeah, they just get to communicate across all different ages. Um, and I think that that's something that we have to be very mindful of and make sure that we are fairly representing, you know, all different types of people. Um, and not doing a disservice to different populations. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're well. It's not just that, but you know, you have the potential to make millions of people laugh. You have the potential to make millions of people cry. You have the potential to make millions of people, perhaps even angry. Um, and that's the cool. I think, uh, in a sense, creators, people who write books, people who make movies, or people who tell stories to vast audiences they're they're really like a lot of times it could be playing with fire and sometimes this fire can be a very beautiful thing and sometimes it can also be an ugly thing um Mm -hmm. and as far as crafting something beautiful that uh, really like changes the lives of people like that movie about time I think that's a really magical thing that you guys have the potential of doing. I'd hope so. (laughs) You know, no, I agree. Uh I think that, um, just keeping that in in mind, um, when making 
anything. And and of course, there's always a place for um, movies, just like straight up goofball movies that are are there to just to entertain and then leave. Absolutely. Um, but I I think that and any time you have it the slightest chance to say something, um, it, it is is worth it. And I think that um, you know you never want to be too preachy as they say like some people um if you pull it off incorrectly and you're writing something and then it gets to the viewer and it feels like there is just big agenda to tell you like exactly yeah. how to feel and it's coming off super heavy-handed no one wants that i think we can all agree that like yeah. if you're watching something to be entertained and then it is just hitting you over the head with some like really strong opinion that you're like oh what is this doing in here yeah like it's um, just too yeah. obvious yeah. yeah there there's definitely a wrong way to do it too um but i think if if you just craft your stories with truth and 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 it means something to you and it's truthful to you um and you can do it in a a subtle ish way <laughs> i think it just about any narrative can benefit from something like that yeah, uh, 100%. Um, Greg, I was going to ask you a question. Um, we haven't heard it. We haven't heard a, a movie that um, uh, gave you any ideological shifts or brightened okay. your mind. So mm -hmm. I was That's, curious yeah. to know, okay. um, was there a movie that drastically changed your perception of the world? Mall Cop 2? Uh, so did that... <laughs> So that question, I'm not sure, but as far as movies that I'm going to go with the TV show, actually, sure. it's called Avatar, the last airbender. I'm sure one you of the best yeah. shows, one of the sure best shows ever. Dude, such a good show. Yeah, it, we've, we've both watched it too many times. Yeah. The, the philosophy in that show is so intense mm. there's so much so many life lessons to be learned from that show it is it is crazy like every single yeah. episode has a message right and uh absolutely th there's also this the thing that i love most about it is that at the very end the very last episode um ang does not want to kill oh spoiler alert Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. If you <laughs> haven't seen it by 15 now, 15 year old like... show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it's a great show. Not everyone's seen it. They need to. True. So, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. At the very end, uh, both of you know what happened. Aang doesn't want to kill the Fire Lord, right? So, mm. instead of killing the Fire Lord, he takes away his powers. But how does he take away his power? He takes away his power by being so firm within his own belief with his within his own uh willpower that he is able to take away his willpower right and yeah. that is that is so powerful it's like uh ang will do whatever it takes to do the right thing no matter what and that is how powerful he is he will not give up he will not he will not not do the wrong the right thing and that is a very powerful thing. Uh, it, if you stay firm in what you love and you hold on to what you love and you keep going for what you love, no matter what, you have the power to take away great power from other people. And that's 
Oh, that's crazy. Right? Yeah. Just a str- strong will um, can can be a enough of a um, of like a strong defense is a good offense. <laughs> you have enough of a yeah. of a strong will in what you believe, and and eventually that will that will outwill um, the next. Well, yeah. it's it's in a sense he's um, power isn't burning everyone down and killing them. Power right. is being uh, ultimately a really good person that you feel powerless towards because of all their um, because of how good they are in a sense, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that and that's really the show that kind of uh, really got me thinking. But there's also the movie Mr. Nobody that I mentioned earlier, which didn't really get me thinking that much, but it, well, it obviously got me thinking, but I could relate to it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That movie is excellent too. Um, just showing you the, just choice. And it's been a while, but that whole movie being about choice and consequences behind every decision you make. But at the end of the day, like you have to make one, you can't sit around your whole life contemplating every decision you could make eventually you have to choose one and because all of life is is going to have its ups and its down there's you're going to feel love and you're going to feel pain but you you have to choose one path and it's not going to be perfect yeah but that's what life is um at least that's to my knowledge to the best of my recollection what mr nobody was about yeah um uh, uh Ryland, do you have any commentary? Yeah, I don't. I saw it once a while ago, so <laughs> I don't really have anything to say about Mister Nobody. It's a good movie, uh, but Avatar. I I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get a tattoo of something okay. Avatar related on my body. That's how much I like that show. <laughs> He's been telling me earlier before we start. He wants to get Momo and Appa on each nip. This is not true. Uh. <laughs> But I was, you know, I was thinking about maybe getting the air symbol um, tattoo on my shoulder or something. Just because, right, like, very gassy. I, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I love all of the what the Air Nomads stand for and their philosophy. Um, Avatar is a great show. Everyone needs to watch that show. Yes, I agree. Well, it's also each, each element represents a philosophy in a sense. Or right, it represents a state. Like air represents freedom, fire represents life, water represents nurturing, and earth represents strength. Right. So I think, as far as Aang kind of combining all of those things together, it's it's really beautiful. Like life, a, a life doesn't need to be a destructive force. Right. Fire doesn't need to be destructive. It can be tamed, and yeah. it's it's tamed by water, earth, and and air. Yeah, that whole move, that whole show goes into balance and and finding internal balance and inner peace. Mm. And there's so many good a- so analogies. Good. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to what uh, Rylan, what you were saying about being in the present moment, and I think it's. Uh, 
as far as being a creator, do you ever find yourself or you, Caden, do you ever find yourselves in a flow state? Uh, what do you what do you mean by that? A, a flow state is when you're kind of in a trance uh, while you're creating stuff like while you're filming you're only focused on filming and you everything else is completely out of your mind oh oh i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. oh yeah so all the time yeah for me are right, so you're saying kind of like you're you are so into like you're in a moment when like for me it'd be playing music um and like i basically get lost in the music and captivated and like the world around me kind of goes away is that kind of exactly. talking about? oh yeah yeah i it is something that I experienced um, and it is so hard to describe. Um, and going back to the movie soul, that was something that they actually tried to um, depict the, um, the protagonist and the, the jazz pianist. Whenever he plays, they kind of did a thing where he's playing the piano, um, even with a group of musicians. And then visually what happens is like all the people fade away around him. And like basically a bunch of blue and purple colors swarm around him and musical wow. notes. Um, and it was a really pretty way of visualizing that concept. And it's honestly so accurate. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but like sometimes when I'm playing or improvising, like the world around me, it sounds so dramatic, but it like goes away. Like people will ask me questions and I like literally can't even hear what they're saying. You know, sometimes I use that as an excuse to ignore Caden, but <laughs> but like I really can't. Like I, it's so weird. I can't describe it. It's like I feel like I know where my thing. Like I'm not even moving. It's like happening habitually and involuntarily. Yeah. My pan, my fingers are moving just like within the void of space. It's weird. It's a really, it's a beautiful feeling. Like Caden, I'm in the flow state right now. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> yeah, Beth, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. How does that work? I feel like music isn't as easy to understand that concept because, but I'm curious to know how that would apply to filmmaking. So how have you experienced this? Caden? I mean, it for me, it's, it's oftentimes uh, when I am, behind the camera and we're on we're on set in the thick of it and we're filming um like a part of my brain just kind of turns off and and this just sounds maybe dumb but the camera becomes part of me and i'm just and i'm part yeah. of the camera um and i'm in that that world for a second um and and nothing else matters so much so um that <laughs> it, it's a little dangerous there's been times where i if i'm filming um, a shot and I'm like hanging out the back of a car um, suddenly my brain just turns off and the only thing that matters is getting this shot and then uh, I'm like dangling out of a moving car and then my buddy goes like what the hell are you doing <laughs> I'm like, oh right sorry this is real life uh, <laughs> but like I can literally legit you put a camera in my my hand and tell me to capture something I will like walk through a burning building to get a shot, which is like the only time I would ever do um, <laughs> anything remotely dangerous. Cause I'm kind of a, a wimp in every other part of my life. Like I don't even like roller coasters, but if I had to get on a roller coaster to get a shot, I'd be like, yeah, which seat is the best seat? And uh, <laughs> what lens should I get? Like, I suddenly it just doesn't even matter what I'm doing. Um, it's it's weird and maybe dangerous. This is probably how I'm gonna die. Um, please uh, tag this <laughs> podcast um, 
so when you, you see my body mysteriously in a field somewhere, you can pull this up for evidence. Well, we're going to see the movie, though. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully the shot I got was good um, and it captured my final moments, put it in the bloopers. People Gre- eat that up, you know. Greg, I know you do um, writing and narrative story. Narrative storytelling, that's redundant. Um, I know you do nar- <laughs> narrative work. Um, do you, is this something you experience too? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Not during a, a podcast, but because, uh, you know, we're all talking and well, well, you know, you could get lost in conversation, though, sometimes for sure. Right. Um, right. Like definitely. Uh, like I, I've definitely been lost in conversations before where I'm, I just get on this flow state. Um, it's it's a yeah, rare thing. Mm-hmm. But but when you're <laughs> uh, but when I'm <laughs> writing, yeah, I get that flow state all the time. Um, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's the best feeling in the world, really. It, it's like you, uh, you get kind of lost in your creation, you know, and well, you kind of become a, you kind of like merge yourself with it in a sense. I think you like become, you like become the story that you're writing in a sense you're, or like it, in your case, Rylan, you become the music or Caden, I think you kind of become the film. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, it's kind of like you're merging yourself with it in a sense. I know that sounds cheesy, but I mean, that's just kind of, that's what it feels like. Um, if we could describe it. And right. I think, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think as artists, when we're creating something in a flow state, um, we're, oh, we're kind of also gifting the audience with that flow state too because they can see the work that we made during that flow state and they might get tranced as well within it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, yeah. Film is definitely, you know, intended to transport someone somewhere else. Um, and I think that's part of like really good audience identification is when you're essentially watching the story through someone else's shoes, you know? Um, and I think that's like, you know, why we cry when we see, like someone else crying on on film um, is because we've be- almost become that character for a second. Whatever they experience, we are experiencing with them as them. Um, so it definitely has that transportive effect. So it's almost, uh, in, in a sense, sometimes it can be sort of an em- empathic sort of. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, I feel like it's... Yeah. If you're feeling a strong emotion while making the piece, whatever it may be, um, I think there's a, a higher likelihood for the audience or the listener or whoever to feel reciprocate said feeling. So I wanted to touch uh, before we go on. There's this one point in David Foster Wallace's essay where he talks about it it's in the section titled act natural and he's talking about how not many people are fit to stand the gaze of of a lot of people which he he quotes he quotes emerson there that not many people can act natural on camera right like uh, when you're getting filmed most normal people stutter they get all nervous oh shoot them on camera 
but actors mm. and, and actresses, they, they kind of just look so real, you know, it's their job to make it like kind of pull you into the illusion in a sense. Mm -hmm. And have you ever worked with and with someone who really kind of was feeling just really convinced you that they are the character that you wrote? Right. That's a, a good question. I mean, every actor and I've worked with a, a, a handful um, and I hopefully a lot more to come. But every every actor has a, a, a different process and, and not everyone is right or wrong. Um, I'm sure some are wrong. <laughs> if you're having to kill three people before you get into the role, that's probably wrong. But everyone <laughs> has a, a variety of different um ways to get into character um most of the the actors i work with aren't necessarily like the daniel day lewis like method actors where they have to sit in the character's shoes for three months before they can even think for a second about saying a line as the character fortunately that isn't i haven't been it with any actors like that and i think most people prefer not to work with people like that. It's kind of what I've gathered, not <laughs> discounting the super talented Daniel Day-Lewis. You know, there's definitely merit to those, um, the, to the method actors like that. Um, but I, I think it is um, the director's dream to have an actor who can step in and out of the character's shoes as quick as possible, which of course is, is definitely, you, you know, they're not robots. They don't have, necessarily uh oh you want me to just turn this switch and then yeah. suddenly they start crying some do but you know you still have to treat them like people um yeah. but to answer your question like as there's been a, a handful of of times um where like we're, we're doing a long take and i'm behind the monitor sometimes just watching in person um and an actor like pour their their soul out and suddenly i've forgotten that this is a uh this is like you know Steven, the the friend I know, suddenly I'm watching the character and I've forgotten that this isn't a real circumstance. Um, the one that, you know, I wrote and made up in my head. <laughs> suddenly this is this is real and, and really good actors um can can do that. Um and then of course you, you yell cut and they go, Okay, so how was that? And then you're like, Oh, right. <laughs> Damn, this guy's good. <laughs> wow, um so, yeah, there's been a handful of moments. They almost hypnotize you. Yeah, it really sense. is. Like they, they bring you in in a trance. Um, and again, every every person has their their different process, and I I try to respect um, all of them. Um, and I'm still um, I'm sure there's going to be an actor I work with, you know, next week who has a process I've never never dealt with before. Um, and I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, um, I was gonna jump in here too and say it's always weird when you're meeting actors for like the first time um, and then watching them do their performances, because then it gets really confusing. Um, and I was, <laughs> I was like this on, on set with on one of Caden's films um, for the zombie Western and um, the lead for the film, his name is Falk. And um, I had barely known the guy, barely met the guy and his name is Wyatt in the, in the short. And so, like, I kept accidentally wanting to call him Wyatt. And then also his performances, like, 
I was watching him act. And so for the longest time, I always thought like him as a person was like a really bouncy, energetic character. <laughs> but like, that's yeah. not him at all. And so like, it's really weird when you meet actors for like the first time and like don't know them really well, because then like it confuses your perception of wow. who they are. Um, it's also interesting, too, because like I feel like this is something that I hear a lot of um, celebrities and Internet. Um, what's the word? Personalities. Yeah, internet personalities and characters or and actors talk about is the idea that like um, fan bases and fans feel like they know and understand who like a person is by their performances or, you know, um, on a show or their internet personality um, when they just like have no, I don't know, real concept. And so like an example too is like, you know, the show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia um that show's been running for how long i feel like 15 years yeah something like 15 years yeah. and so like watches Good a show show. with it's a yeah I, I haven't seen all of it but so far it's great um but if everyone watches that show and like for 15 years sees charlie day as like this basically his character is kind of ignorant and disrespectful um and it changes throughout the show but, like, if you watch a character for 15 years, that's totally going to, like, affect your, like, how you think that actor is, is a real person. And it can, like, um, be problematic or, you know, it could also be a good thing. Um, well, but do you think playing a part for 15 years can change your personality? That's an interesting question. I feel like it, it's got to at a certain point. Like, if you're, if you've been playing the same like super, super like loud, energetic guy for 15 years. And that's been your day job. I feel like a, you are slowly going to get more loud and energetic. That would be my guess. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I am not an actor. I have acted on camera out of necessity a handful of times, but I would guess that if every day I had to go into work, it'd be, Oh, wow. Extra, extra Charlie <laughs> day ish, you know? Um, I feel like I could, I would probably um, inherit a lot of those attributes yeah. in my day to day. That's an interesting question for um, an actor. I would love to know what they say. Yeah. I know that like there's been a couple. I've done like one show in my life, like a musical theater show. I did Cinderella in high school, which I'm sure was terrible. If I go back and watch it now, it was but, great. But um, yeah, come on, time. <laughs> For like the three months that we were rehearsing and did the show, I remember outside of the show being like extra bouncy and animated as mm -hmm. a person and like hating <laughs> how I was. I was like, based so it definitely did like change who I was for that time. And then like a week later after the show was done, I was back to like my normal self. But I was definitely like an elevated like version of myself yeah. outside of that show while I was rehearsing. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're, if say I'm writing a book for over a year and my book is about certain concepts, I'm going to be thinking about those concepts quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a weird analogy, but if you start like shopping or looking around shopping for a car and you have like a type of car in particular that you want, and then suddenly you start seeing that same exact car everywhere around town now because <laughs> you've kind of like changed um, like you've brought attention to something 
and your nice. your mind's eye and suddenly it sticks out everywhere. Like you know that whole like you know when you hurt your 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 foot and then suddenly it's like, "Oh, of all the days, today's the time where I hit my foot <laughs> on four different things. What are the odds?" Well, chances are you actually would have hit your foot those four places all all the time. You just noticed it like way more now. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's if that analogy makes sense, but yeah, you start yeah. to being to an actor is like being yeah. a foot. Yes, that's ex- <laughs> exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, and the two of you, you know, you're making films, you're making movies. Um, in a sense, you're drawing people's attention to certain things. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Bringing that that concepts and change, kind of changing your perception a little bit, putting a different lens on it. That the next time you encounter something similar, it reminds you of that. Um, you've like created a pathway that makes you think of whatever we're talking about. Um, yeah. Exactly. Like a foot. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, one last thing is that the. Um, the film industry you're working with multiple art forms at a time you have a you're writing this story you're working on uh cinematography the sound effects the visual mm-hmm. effects you've got the the actors themselves right you have all these things interacting all these art forms interacting mm-hmm. and uh, what's the biggest challenge you've had with that oh that's a uh, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of this all-encompassing, like, auditory, visual, um, all of the above kind of have to marriage together and and form this grand vision. And it, you know, doesn't always. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the, the main thing is, uh, like, knowing with confidence what you want and what you're trying to achieve, but at the same time, on the other spectrum, being able to lean into other people's expertise. Um, and it's it's definitely a, a teeter-totter of when are you like sacrificing your vision just to 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 please other people. Um, but like you you're bringing these in theory professionals on their in their craft um, and you want to listen to them. like I'm not gonna tell like Rylan like, how to write a like piano solo, even though I might run one random day, have a really good specific idea for one. Um, I have to kind of trust that Rylan is going to write a better one than me and let him go at it. Um, and, and same with like building a set, um, same with, um, set, setting up a shot, um, you know, within reason, as long as I know what I want, but also making the, the person that is, that is working underneath me in their department know that they feel valued and are allowed to do what they're going to do freely, I think is huge. So you're probably a really good director then. Well, as far as giving people, you would, yeah, you'd think so. As far as giving people, um, their autonomy. Cause I think uh, one thing that, uh netflix like the reason why netflix is doing so well right now is that with all their their netflix originals they're really giving people the opportunity to create being unhinged by wanting numbers or anything like that so right absolutely um like letting people 
do what you brought them there to do is huge. And again, is finding that line is tricky. There are times like you hear horror stories of like the studio came in and stepped on the director and ruined the film. And that happens legitimately probably all the time. <laughs> but there are other sides of the spectrum where you probably don't hear it as often, but the studio came in and totally saved a movie from sucking major balls <laughs> because the director dropped the ball or, uh, or, or who knows what happened there. You know, believe it or not, sometimes the studio actually does know what's best. Sometimes, not always. Um, but there's, there's, it's a two way street. Um, and finding that healthy medium, um, is what I try to do as much as possible. Cool. Um, what do you think about that, Rylan? Yeah. Um, I think Caden does a good job. And, Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, no, I, I really am. a passive-aggressive comment coming. I, I do think that um, Caden balances that well, um, his position well. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's definitely tricky because, like, everything clearly has a stamp by Caden with his name on it. Yes. But at the same time, you know, it's still allowing for um, – those different departments to do what they love and what they know best. Um, so it just like, you know, Caden was describing how he directs me. He does the same type of direction um, towards different departments where like, he doesn't specifically tell them how to do their craft. But like, again, the word Caden was using was like that intention and explaining like what he wants to convey. He points um, him in the right direction. Right. Um, and I think, he does a marvelous job. I'm really impressed by it, especially well, for, I think he's been um, just like helping me so much and has been an excellent job at directing me um, for the, for scoring music for the projects we've been doing. Um, and it's been, I think the products have been pretty good. So, but he's doing a really good job with that. Thanks Ron. I mean, it's definitely a learning experience and I, I, I know that I have a long ways to go, but I also learn from, every person I work with too, whether it's learning how to do something or how not to do something, <laughs> if it's a cautionary tale sometimes. But yeah, I mean, I, I learn a million things just working with Ryland, even though I technically on paper am s steering the ship. Um, I'm, I'm picking up new things from Ryland all the time too. Um, as he's the expert in, in his, in his field. Um, and in theory, I'm supposed to be in mine. And so, you know, it's a, it's a give and take both ways. And that's why it's so fun. Awesome. Uh, well, do you guys have anything else you'd like to leave us with? Um, let's talk about cryptocurrency for a second. Uh, so <laughs> <use> cri <laughs> uh, welcome back I just to the Cryptocurrency to, Podcast. I just um, wanted to end saying that Kate and I are definitely both experts in our craft. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah. I just, yeah, that period. That's all I want to say, pretty much. Yeah, we change we change the world with pretty much everything we do. I've never seen a better director or film composer. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's is the, the always the the weird thing is like is talking about ourselves always feels like. Uh, I have so much to learn. <laughs> yeah, like at the end of the day, we're 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 both just trying to to figure things out. We have so much farther to go as far as learning, but um, you know, we're we're giving it our all and trying our hardest to make something um fun and 
and and worthwhile but we uh you know we we're we're all we're all figuring things out and we will continue to do so till the day we die awesome um where can people find you um so where i post most of my content right now mostly my my short films and sketches is my youtube channel which is just my first and last name uh caden butera on on youtube um and we have uh, a new sketch coming out next week actually cool um and then uh, just my instagram is also caden butera all my handles are are caden butera um and um yeah please follow and subscribe and do all that fun stuff that'd be great that'd be super cool awesome uh well uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast guys yeah thanks for having thank you so much greg it's a good time all right well uh peace out everyone